gather today, that we can worship your name freely, that we can rejoice in all that you have done for us, God. Thank you for everyone who may be watching at home, who's here, everybody in the church family, that you are with them, that you are good, and that you'll be with us as the days come by. I pray that as we learn together today as we worship your name that we would be unified that we would be excited to learn something new about you God and that the Holy Spirit would work through our lives in Jesus name amen you can be seated I'll see you guys in a couple of seconds there we go um, good morning goodness I don't think I have preached since the summer so I'm pretty sure it's like riding a bike where I can just remember how to preach. Um, kids can go back to Sunday school with Charlene and Mary back there. So all of the kids. And there is also the nursery open for younger kids as well. Um, I realized this morning or yesterday when I looked um, that I've been here for two years as of around this time-ish. Uh, which is pretty, pretty crazy to think about because this world has been a crazy place for the last couple of years. I think I had about a month of normal time here. Um, before then, I just didn't see anybody at all for a good few months. Um, but I'm glad to be here today, and I'm glad to be preaching today. Um, if you have come for a specifically a Valentine's Day sermon, though, I'm afraid you're out of luck. That is not what I'm preaching on today. I've never been in love, so it would be weird. Um, and it would not be good. It would be very short. Um, but that is okay, because we are still going to talk about love today. And we are going to talk about the Good Samaritan. And as I was like bouncing around ideas of what I should preach about today, because we have no sermon series, my dad is like, just preach on whatever you want to preach. That doesn't work. I need you to like tell me what you need me to say and everything because otherwise I don't know what I'm going to say. So he's like, well, you could talk about this. And I was like, no, you could talk about this. So you could talk about this. I'm like, I don't know if I could field all the questions after that. Um, so then he's like, well, why don't you talk about neighborly love? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I could, I could talk about that. That's fine. So we're going to talk about the Good Samaritan today. And the title of my sermon is Go and Do the Same. So I'm sure we've all had an experience with a neighbor before. I know I have, I've, all, I've had all kinds of neighbors. I've had the good neighbors where like the lady that we lived next door to when I was younger, I would go mow her lawn every Saturday for her. And then she would give me some lemonade and we would chat and hang out, good neighbor. The neighbor on the other side of us, though, his name was Sonny. And his, he was not a Sonny person at all. He was like 
one of those like crusty old men that was not very nice and kind of just like looked at you weird. He turned out to be nice in like the eight years that we lived there. Um, this microphone is doing funky things, sorry. And so he did turn out to be nice. He wasn't too bad. And then as I got older and I lived by myself, I had some neighbors in the basement below me and they decided to put on a concert every Saturday night, which is not ideal when you work in a church and you have to be up early on a Sunday. So they would be in their backyard and they would be playing their guitar with all of their friends. None of them were musicians. Couldn't make out any of the songs for the life of me. It was rough. And those were a lot of long Saturday nights. Like three in the morning I'm talking, like in the backyard playing loudly with their friends. And then I also had some really terrible neighbors. When I lived in college, we had bats that lived in the college dorms with us. Um, lots of bats. And we got to know them pretty well because in the winter and at night, they would come out. So you'd be studying in the library. Next thing you know, there's a bat flying by your head. And did you know it's illegal to kill bats in Canada? So we couldn't kill them. So we had to catch them. We became very good with hockey sticks, sweaters, cardboard boxes. My go-to move was ducking under a table and letting the guys handle it because no way was I touching a bat, not a chance. Um, and actually they just demo demolished the old college that I lived in and my friend and I were driving past there on Monday and I was like, I wonder what happened to all the bats that lived there and I can only imagine what they found. So neighbors come in all shapes and sizes, and I'm sure you guys all have your own stories about a neighbor at some point in your life. I don't think any of us go through with like completely normal neighbors. Um, see you. And so today we're gonna to talk, talk about what it means to love our neighbor, except for maybe the bats, didn't love them. Um, so we're gonna talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan and why it is important in today's climate. And every time I've heard a sermon about the Good Samaritan, I've heard it in the way of, we should be like the Good Samaritan. So I was thinking, well, what is something different I could talk about? So today we're going to kind of look at our spot in what it would be like to be the man who was beaten up. And it'll all come together in one big story so in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was asked by a lawyer, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what's, what's written in the law? Like, you know how to read, you can figure it out. And the lawyer answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus let him know that he had answered correctly. And that is what it is written to gain eternal life. And so the lawyer asked, accepted his answer. He was fine with that. But he wanted to justify his actions. He wanted a loophole. And in verse 25, it says that the lawyer wants to test Jesus, which never really goes very well. And he wanted to figure out what Jesus was doing going from place to place, proclaiming God, the word of God, and wanted to see if Jesus would maybe slip up and say they should love everyone except for insert whatever 
group he didn't want to maybe love so much. And it was interpreted as go to church and be nice to others. We can do that. That's not too terribly hard to just be nice to people and to go to church. So why did the lawyer want to test Jesus? The lawyer was likely a man who followed Jesus' teachings. Um, He did what he was supposed to do. And maybe he wanted to say, love your neighbor, the poor, the homeless, the sick. And the lawyer could then say that he did that. He made sure all of those people were loved. He was a good person. So then this brings us to the lawyer's second question. Who is my neighbor? And the lawyer had asked questions, and his intents weren't to like public hu- publicly humiliate Jesus, um, but he didn't have Google to just like quickly search up the answer. So he went straight to the source. Um, and when, a couple of weeks ago at youth, we were talking about discernment, and I said, well, how do you figure out if what you're being taught about the Bible is true? Like, where do you go? And they all said Google. And I'm like, well, but what if you don't have Google? And they're like, well, then I would find somebody with a phone and I would get them to Google it. It's like, okay, imagine that there's no phones and there's no Google. Where then do you go? So obviously the Bible. He didn't have the Bible. So we went to the next best source, Jesus. And he was taking the steps of going to the best source of information he could find. So before we answer the question, who is our neighbor? We're going to talk about the parable a little bit. And so, if you know me, I love facts. Every time I preach, I like to find fun facts about what we're learning. Because for me, sometimes I don't remember them. I might have learned it in Bible college. I can remember all of the lyrics to the songs I've ever heard. Can I remember little facts? No, absolutely not. So, some of the fun facts about the sermon So the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles and went from 2,500 feet above sea level to 770 feet below sea level, which I tried to find like an equivalent. Um, It's about a little bit taller than Table Mountain to like below Table Mountain, down into the ground. That was about the like hilliness of the road. So it was dangerous. It was a robber's hotspot. It was their like niche place to hurt people. Um, the Samaritans were the least liked people by the Jews. And I found out one story that one time the Samaritans played a prank on the Jews. They went into the Jerusalem temple one night during Passover and scattered human bones around, making it unclean. I was like, oh, it's not, a, not great. Um, not a fun prank. And the last fun fact I have is that the two denarii that the Samaritan paid the innkeeper would have bought him about 24 nights at the inn, which I had no idea before. So there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way, down the road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up, and he also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling down the road came upon him, and when he saw the man's conditions, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, 
Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, made him comfortable, and in the morning he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you back. So before we dive in more, this parable isn't an allegory. The inn doesn't represent the church in this instance. Uh, the Good Samaritan doesn't represent Jesus, etc. So why is this ans Jesus' answer to the lawyer's question, if it's not supposed to mean something else? And this parable forces the lawyer to realize that Jesus isn't going to give him a simple answer, nor a straightforward one. He wants the lawyer to figure out who his neighbor is. So when we're little kids and we decide to like punch somebody or like steal a toy, um, oftentimes somebody will say, put yourself into the other person's shoes. How do you think that would make you feel if that happened to you? And Jesus kind of did this with the lawyer. He's like, how would you feel if you were in that man's shoes? Not as the good Samaritan. The lawyer was already, for the most part, a good Samaritan. But what if he, the lawyer was the man who was beat up? So I'm going to reread the story, but as if the lawyer was the man. So there was once a lawyer traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was a good man who knew Jesus. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way and then angled to the other side when he saw him. Then a Levite religious man showed up, and he also avoided him. A Samaritan traveling down the road came upon the lawyer, and when he saw the lawyer's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, put him on a donkey, and led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. And then he gave the, in the good Samaritan gave the innkeeper two coins, saying, take good care of the lawyer. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you on my way back. So what if we put ourselves in the place of the man? Sure, we're not traveling 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho through hills on foot, um, but we travel. It's not like an uncommon idea for somebody to be beat up on a sidewalk. Um, I know people that have ha that's happened to. And so what if we saw somebody that we knew, or even just somebody that we don't know, beat up on the sidewalk, and we just decide to go to the other side? What if you saw me going to the other side of the sidewalk as you lay there beat up? You'd probably think I'm not the best person. You'd probably be like, what is she doing? She's just going to leave me here. The least likely person comes and shows us neighborly love. And so in other words, the real answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is that you have no idea who your neighbor is until you yourself realize how needy you are. And in that need, receive the unexpected grace of being neighbored by God. And this is good news for the lawyer, because as Jesus said later, there is a whole lot more, la lot more laughter and joy in heaven over one lost sheep brought home than over 99 righteous folk who don't think that they need to move, who don't need any repentance. The moral of Jesus' story is not to in imitate the Samaritan, 
because you're already a good person. The moral is that when we have experience being rescued by grace, can we really become like the Samaritan and like Christ himself, showing mercy and compassion? So I have three things that I think we can learn from this story. And we're not done talking about loving our neighbors quite yet. Um, but the Good Samaritan was generous. In fact, he was more generous than he even needed to be. Um, he gave above, over and above what was asked for him. He offered enough money for 24 nights at an inn and still offered more if the innkeeper needed it, um, just in case he needed more care. And he could have given just enough for a couple of nights, but he wanted to make sure the man was taken care of. Two is that we should be more like the lawyer. So notice how Jesus didn't criticize him for asking questions. He wanted him to learn. The lawyer refers to Jesus as a teacher, as we often do. And Jesus gives him a learning opportunity, just like in school when we're told when we punch somebody, we should put, them in each, put ourselves into their shoes. And how often when people have questions about Christianity, do we tell them, oh, just Google it. It's fine, especially if we don't know the answer. Um, we just don't explain it. We're like, oh, I'm too busy. I have to go to Tim Hortons before they never close. You kind of just make up a, an excuse so that you don't have to answer a hard question. Um, and of course, we don't always have the answer. I don't always have the answer. If you had asked me last week how many miles it was from Jericho to Jerusalem, I would have no idea. I would have probably guessed like a hundred or so. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't give guidance in how to find the answer to the question. And even if we might have more answers to more questions, doesn't mean that we shouldn't still ask questions. Christianity is not a faith that is supposed to be done alone. And this was something that we were talking about in my class a couple of weeks ago is the difference in views between an Eastern culture and a Western culture. Where in Western cultures, we kind of fend for ourselves. We live in like our little isolated bubble. Um, lots of times we don't even know who our neighbor is. But in Eastern culture, they really take to heart, it takes a village. They live in community. Um, and where did Christianity originate from? Eastern culture. And we, ha we are here to talk and walk in community. And know if you have any questions, no matter how hard they are, I will work to find an answer if I don't know off the top of my head. If I don't know what the answer, I'll go to somebody smarter than me because there's so many more people that are smarter than me. Um, if they don't know the answer, they'll go to somebody smarter than them. And then maybe at the end of the day, we say, we'll do the best what we can with what we have. Um, Ask, for the, ask the questions and search for the answers, but just don't look at one source either. Um, I've written more research papers than I can count, and at the minimum, I'm looking at like 10 different people's answers for one question and combining them to make my answer at the end of the day to get a whole view of the answers. And this parable is a good example of that. It's one person's viewpoint of who our neighbor is. 
So the last thing that we can learn from this is help without expecting something in return. I think oftentimes we listen to the voice or the verse that when you give, expect a reward, we kind of twist it and make us think it like that, that we think, oh, I got them a coffee, so then they'll get me a coffee back. Um, But in Luke 6.34, it says, and if you lend money to only those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. So sinners will lend to other sinners expecting something back. Um, But we are not to expect something in return. Just like the Good Samaritan, he didn't expect the man who was beaten up to then pay him back for his 24 nights in the inn and the donkey ride, whichever fares came with that, maybe like the cleaning fee, um, the hospitality fee, whatever else they tack on to like hotels and Airbnbs these days to drive up the price. Um, But our neighbor is whoever is in need that we can help, not just the person who lives next door to us, looks like us, is nice to us. We know that our neighbor is not just the person we live next to, but our neighbor is also the person that we have nothing in common with, that we completely disagree with, um, that maybe, quite frankly, we just don't even like them. Does that make them any less of our neighbor? No, not really. just means that we need to work harder to love them more. And so this whole parable is in response to how do I gain eternal life and who is my neighbor? And Jesus asked him what was written in the law, and he repeated the greatest commandment, which is written eight times in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're just getting into what it means to actually love our neighbor. Now that we have like a background view, um, we're getting into it. So loving God can be easier than loving our neighbor, that's for sure. Sometimes even that is not easy. Um, Sometimes we still don't want to love God, but it's easier most of the time than loving our neighbor. But loving our neighbor is also still important. It's right there. It's written in the same verse as loving God. And so we're going to look at some examples of what it means to love our neighbor and how can we get there. So the first step in order to love our neighbor is that we need to love God. It, it says so. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Um, simple enough, we can grasp the concept of loving God. Um, the second one is accept that God loves you and Quite frankly, that can be a lot harder than just loving God. Um, We're human. We make a lot of mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. Um, Nobody is perfect. And it can be hard to accept that God still loves us even when we screw up royally. Even when we, like Kenny said, say something that should get us beat up or put in the hospital. Um, It's hard to accept that God still loves us in that. but he does. He still loved Judas when he betrayed him. He still loved Peter when he denied him. Um, He still loves us. And so then the third is that we need to love ourselves. 
and not in a I am the best person to ever walk this earth kind of love ourselves. Um, but we need to understand that God made us. He knit us in our mother's wombs. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he made us for a purpose. And we need to recognize that we love ourselves so that we can also accept God's love so that we can love God. They kind of all intertwine like a puzzle. And fourth is accepting that you won't always agree with your neighbor, but recognizing that the same love that Jesus has for you, the same God that knit you in your mother's womb, the same God that sent his son to die on the cross for you, is the same God that loves your neighbor even if you don't want to love them. And you have the opportunity to show that love because your neighbor might not know that God loves them. They might not know who God is. They may have never heard the word God before. And we have that opportunity to show God's love, to show them that they can love God, that God loves them, and that they are wonderfully made. So when you stand firm in the basics, when you've got these four parts down, loving your neighbor becomes a lot easier. It becomes second nature. You realize that it's easier to love your neighbor when you remember that God loves you, even in your imperfectness. And 1 John 4 lays out a little bit of this. Um, it's a little bit of tough love, but it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what if we take out the words brother and sister and replace them with neighbor? We can see our neighbors. They're real people, unless you're seeing people that aren't there. Um, but for the most part, we can see our neighbors. We can see when they're hurting. Um, we can see when they're broken. We can see them. We can't see God, but we love God. So whoever claims to love God yet hates their neighbor is a liar. For whoever does not love their neighbor whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Anyone who loves God must also love their neighbor. Sometimes it's not as fun to hear things that we don't want to hear. Um, there's times that I don't want to love my neighbor, um, mostly because my neighbor's kids run up and down the stairs at all hours of the day very loudly, and I can hear it from my bedroom. Um, and that's just one example. There's people that I don't like in this world, of course. I'm human. Um, there's times that I do like them. There's times that I definitely don't like them. But I need to remember to show that same love that God has for me to them 
because God also loves them. And I think I have said the word love in this sermon so many times, it's starting to sound a little bit weird. Uh, But the word love is used in the Bible about 500 to 700 times, depending on which Bible you're reading. And I was researching and reading so many stories of neighborly love in the Bible. I just wanted to refresh my memory. I was thinking, what are all of these stories of neighborly love? And I don't recall any of them being conventional. Sometimes we watch movies and a new neighbor moves in. The wife then brings over a basket of muffins or a casserole or a plate of cookies, whatever it is. She brings them over to the house, gives them to their new neighbor, smiles, says, hey, we live next door. Welcome to the neighborhood. Doesn't ever talk to them again. Usually in the movie, they talk smack about them and don't like them. Um, They do it all for show. They don't actually love their neighbor. And it's okay to bring people muffins and casseroles or whatever you want. But that's not necessarily what neighborly love is. Um, So how much of the love that we show for other people's is just our face? What if nobody was watching you? Would you still take time out of your day to load up somebody who was beaten up onto your donkey and take them to the inn? Um, If nobody was watching, maybe, maybe not. So back on track to the stories that we read in the Bible that aren't conventional because life isn't a movie as much as we wish sometimes. So we got Ruth and Naomi, who I think are a pretty good example of neighborly love, even though they were family. And we just started studying Ruth and Naomi in junior youth, so they can't quite recite the whole story for you yet, but soon. Um, So Ruth could have easily gone back home. Um, Naomi would have been fine with that. Nobody would have batted an eye. But she stayed and didn't abandon her. She showed her neighborly love. There's so many more examples. Um, Jesus showed love to Zacchaeus, who was the most hated tax collector, um, to the woman in the well who was a social outcast, to the woman who cleaned his feet, who normally would not have been let into the house, um, to Judas, to Peter. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to show to one another. Not the conventional bring a casserole to somebody who is sick love. The love that's hard. The love that we don't want to do. The love that's going out of our way to help somebody that we don't know, that we don't like, that we don't agree with, that we probably disagree on politics, lifestyle, whatever. Those are the people that we are called to love, in addition to the people that we know and are around all the time. And love is one of those subjects that's often woven through sermons, or pastors just focus on like romantic love around Valentine's Day. Um, But we live in a day and age where it's far easier to avoid our neighbors than to show them love. It's easier to pretend we don't see somebody in need um, because then we don't have to show them love easier to just put on some sunglasses and walk really quickly past somebody who 
might be asking for money on the sidewalk because we don't want to show them love. Um, we might just put on blinders because we don't want to show love to somebody who has different political views than us um, because obviously we are right and they are wrong. It's obviously how it goes. Um, that is definitely sarcasm. We do not know all of the answers and our views are not always right. But it's easier to cut somebody out of our lives because they live a different lifestyle than it is to love them. And not just loving them, but loving everything that comes with them. Because we also come with baggage. We come with sin. Um, our sin separates us from God, but that doesn't mean that our sin should separate us from loving other people. We talked about the Good Samaritan today who helped a man who was he was told by society that he should hate. Nobody would have batted an eye if he left him on the road for dead. Even if there was people watching, they would have been like, yeah, that sounds about right. We're supposed to hate them, so that's fine. It doesn't matter how much you isolate yourself. It doesn't matter how many people are watching or how few people are watching. You still have to interact with people that you don't agree with. And you still have to love them, even though maybe modern-day Christianity has told us that we should hate them, that we should ignore them, because we don't want to be influenced. And at the very end of the parable, Jesus told the lawyer, go and do the same, or go and do likewise, whatever Bible you're reading. Go and love your neighbor just like the Samaritan loved the man. Love your neighbor like Jesus loves you. The worship team wants to come up. So maybe you're struggling with the idea today that God loves you. Um, maybe you're struggling with the idea that you that you should love God. Um, that's okay. It's okay to be struggling with those things because we live in a community that can encourage us, remind us that God loves us. Um, Remind us to love God with everything that we have. And in Psalm 139, 14, it says, I will give thanks to you because I have been so amazingly and miraculously made. Your works are miraculous, and my soul is fully aware of this. And I think that the reason I picked that verse is because it's a reminder to us that God loves us. And when we're reminded of that, reminded that we should love God. And when we're reminded of that, we're reminded that we should love other people. It's kind of like when you put a sticky note onto your computer or your mirror or wherever to help remind you of things. I do that. I have sticky notes everywhere. Um, it's that reminder that we are to love those who we don't want to love where it's a reminder to love those who we do want to love. It's a reminder that showing love isn't just waving and saying hi to somebody that we might know. Loving isn't easy. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something that we have to work towards every day. And I want to remind you that God does love you. And he made you so that you can show his love to everybody that you come across. 
Have I always been the best neighbor to somebody that I've seen walking down the street? No. Do I try? For the most part. Um, still working on it because sometimes I look at a situation and I think, is this a dangerous situation that I don't want to put myself into? Um, especially being that I don't know if I could beat somebody up that was twice my size, not very tall. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people that I have in my life that are harder to love sometimes. I've got people in my life that live every which way lifestyle that you can think of. Do I still have to work hard at loving them because they might say something disrespectful about Christianity? Absolutely. Do they understand why I go to church, why I work in a church? No. Do they make weird comments about it? Yes. Do I still love them? I try my best to every day. Um, and lots of times we hear the phrase, uh, practice makes perfect. But I don't think that practice makes perfect because we will never be perfect at loving those who we don't want to love. But practice can make progress. We can make progress. We can love somebody this week that we don't want to. We can say, hey, maybe they don't even hear you say it, but maybe you just don't bash somebody this week because they have a different view than you, um, even if they don't hear it. Um, maybe you go out of your way to give somebody a coffee that you see on the street or a toonie for a coffee without having the initial mindset, oh, but what if they use my money to buy drugs? What if we loved our relatives who we don't always like? Loving isn't easy, but relying on God and resting in the assurance that he loves us makes it a little bit easier, a tiny bit easier. Some days it makes it harder, but that doesn't mean that we can't work towards it, that we can't run to God when we need help with it. I pray as you guys go throughout your week and throughout your month um, and throughout the rest of your lives, quite frankly, that you would remember that the same God who loves you is the same God who loves those who are broken down, who are beaten, who we don't think that God loves them. And I pray that you would remember that God loves you. Because it's not always easy to remember. Let's pray as we go about our week. We're just going to end out with a song if you want to sing. Um, and that we would just be in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. God, I pray that as we go out today, that you would remind us of how good your love is, how much you love us, and what it means for us to love our neighbor, even when it's hard. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work through us, that we would live in community.